Well, hello, everyone. This is Dr. Mark Tinsley, and you are joining me on The Message, which is a ministry of inquiry for today. It is great to have you today. I'm joyous to have each and every one of you with me today as we fellowship together over God's Word. Now, today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23, a beautiful passage of Scripture. Many of you have heard this passage before. It'll be very, very familiar to you. I've entitled this uh, message, A Servant's Life, A Servant's Life. And so let's dig into God's Word and let's see what He has to say for us and to us today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes these words, If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. Again, Paul says he becomes all things to all people, which is a passage and a verse we've read many times uh, in the past. You know, I love today's passage of scripture. I really do. And I, th I think the reason I like it so much is that I have a connection with it through, uh, it, it, through a detailed study of Mark chapter 10 verses 42 through 45, because in this passage of scripture, Paul's really talking about the matter of servanthood and servanthood has always been something that God has had on my heart. Uh, all these years. And again, I wrote a, a master's thesis on this matter of servanthood and how it applies to the military chaplaincy. Uh, and what I saw in my study, uh, again, with a basis in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, is I saw that this matter of servanthood is a theme in scripture all the way from Genesis to Revelation. The New Testament calls believers to be servants in so many places, including the passage that we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians 9. The Old Testament talks about servanthood as well. Moses, Noah, Abraham, and many others are called servants of God. Remember Joshua chapter 1 verse 2. Uh, verse two. It says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Servanthood is a thread in Scripture, a suture, if you will, that holds and binds the Word of God together. The theme of service and servanthood is repeated in many different ways over and over again in the Bible. And as a seminary professor of mine once told me, if God says something more than once, then it must be important. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23, we see the theme of servanthood rear its head once more. Naturally, there are many things we can say about servanthood here, but I want to focus on what Paul is trying to teach us, what he's trying to teach the Corinthian church about the life of a servant. 
if we are indeed servants of God, if we are here to serve God and serve others, how must we be? And I use the word be here intentionally. What is the being or essence of a servant? Or to make it a bit more personal, if you and I are going to be servants, if we're going to serve God in a manner that has the most potential to do the greatest good for God and his kingdom, then what must we be? How must we be? What must our character and our essence be? You know, there was an old theme in the army, uh, uh, a slogan, be all you can be. It was the most famous, it's purported to be the most famous uh, advertising slogan in history. And the army used it for many years to recruit many, many soldiers. And so my question is, in relation to that, how can we be all we can be for God? That's really the question we want to answer today. Well, first, if we're going to be all we can be for God, we must be humble. Look at verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, the ESV version says. I like the NIV translation of this verse too. It says this, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, as servants of God, we are not called to be boastful braggarts. Uh, some time ago, I talked to my parishioners in my church about how God is not impressed with the windbags and blowhards of the world. He wants substance from us, and that substance is humble service to God, to himself, and to others. You know, there are many examples of humble servants in the world. I, I could give you an example of my grandfather. He was not a boastful man, but a humble man of service. He served other people, and he served his church. He served his community. He served his family, and he did it in an attitude of humility. I could tell you a story about the former chief of chaplains of the army, a, a chaplain uh, Hicks was his name. And he was a humble servant who never wanted to be. I, I had a dinner with him one time. He told me, I never wanted to be a general officer. I never wanted to be the chief of army chaplains. But God put me here, and I'm here to serve you and the other chaplains in the army. I could tell you the story about the Statler brothers uh, who, who lived in my hometown where I grew up in Stanton, Virginia. And though they became some of the, one of the greatest country music groups in history, they never lost sight of who they were. And they continue, even continued to sing in their home church choir when they weren't on tour. And they never moved to Nashville. They never moved to Hollywood. They never moved to New York. They stayed rooted in Stanton, Virginia. Stayed rooted in their friends. They stayed rooted in their community. They stayed rooted in their churches. They never abandoned who they were. They remained humble servants for God. And this was what God wants from all of us. Simple, humble service. But also what Paul is saying here is that he is so passionate about the truth. 
about the gospel that he cannot not talk about it. God wants us to be sold out for him. He wants us to to want nothing more than to talk about him, to glorify him, to serve him, to worship him. He wants us to have an insatiable urge or thirst for him and for the truth of his word. You know, you think about when you're thirsty. Think about that time that you hadn't had a drink of water for a long time. It was hot outside and all you wanted was something to drink. Your mouth was dry. Your throat was dry. Your tongue started to feel like it had cotton growing out of it. And you wanted nothing more than to get a drink of water. It was the only thing you could think about. And this is what God wants from us. When I think about that kind of commitment, that kind of passion, that kind of thirst and hunger for God, I think about people like Mother Teresa. I think about St. Francis of Assisi. I think about Dwight L. Moody. I think about Billy Sunday. I think about Billy Graham. These folks were so passionate about God that they could not not talk about him. They could not not teach his word. They could not not glorify his name. Is this how we live our lives? Because if it's not, then we are not living the life Paul is talking about in verse 16. We should be so passionate about God that we cannot help but talk about him. That we are compelled by the Holy Spirit to talk about him. So do you see how God wants us to serve? It's with an odd type of humility, really. It's a humility that is holding back and pushing forward at the same time. If you've ever learned how to shoot a rifle, good instructors will tell you that you're pushing forward with, if you're right-handed, you're pushing forward with your right hand, but you're pulling back with your left hand to steady the rifle and keep it on target. That's what God says to us. You're you're pushing forward, and this humility is a a pushing forward, but also a pulling back. It's a humility that is self-deprecating and highly assertive all at once. It's a humility that is simultaneously making waves and calming the seas. It's a humility of contradiction, but in a good way. A humility that says, I am nothing without God, and God is everything without me. And brothers and sisters, it's the kind of humility that puts us in our place as servants, recognizes that God is on the throne, and gets the work of the church done. In verse 16, Paul says, be a humble servant. Be a humble servant. But have an insatiable urge to get out there and do it for God. Secondly, and very much related to the first point, a servant is a slave. If we want to be all we can be for God, we got to be a slave. The Greek word translated as servant in verse 19, and in most translations, is best translated slave. It's from the Greek word doulos. You know, I don't think a lot of translations translate it as servant these days because they don't want to be offensive. There's an offense to slavery. And to avoid being offensive, we don't translate that word to what it's truly mean, what it truly means, which is slave. We're trying to soften the blow of this controversial word and be non-offensive, but this is the this is wrong because it doesn't give the full impact of the the word doulos. I've talked about this before in other settings, uh, and I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. But we are not called to serve merely in the sense of a waiter or a volunteer at a food bank. Service uh, just about meeting needs through goodwill and volunteerism. This is, 
is a type of Christian service, no doubt, but God has a word for that kind of service, and it is in the Greek, diakonos. That's not the word used here. Here we see doulos, which is the kind of service a slave does. It's service that is done under obligation, or as we've already seen, under compulsion. It's a service that you cannot help but do. It's a service that does the will of another without regard to one's own personal desires or needs. And it, and isn't that what Paul has been talking about in this passage? Folks, if you think your life of faith is your own, you're wrong. You are the children of God. You are under compulsion from God. God is your master and Lord. He's your everything. You are nothing and do nothing, nothing good anyway, without God. Yes, indeed, you are a slave. But you're a slave of a perfect master. And can you think of a better type of slavery than that? As believers today, we're all slaves. And glory be to God that we're all slaves. So the life of a Christian servant is marked by being a slave to God, an imperfect slave, but an imperfect slave to a perfect master. And in this slavery, we're here to serve God through a special type of humility that is at once meek and mighty. But there's one more thing in this passage. And that's this. The life of a true servant is contextual, demonstrating wisdom. If we're going to be all we can be for God, we've got to be contextual and demonstrate wisdom. Look at verses 20 through 23. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I not myself am not under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Of course, this is the famous I have become all things to all people statement by Paul. And though some might interpret this as a compromise on Paul's part, that he's selling out or trying to curry favor with the secular culture around him, this is not what he's saying. No, Paul is simply declaring that if we want to be relevant to the world around us, we must take into account what's going on around us. We must meet people where they are. We cannot reach a 21st century world from a 19th century perspective. We must see the world today for what it is and meet it on its own ground. You know, we got a good example of that in Jesus, don't we? Jesus met people where they were. He met, he went, he went to the Samaritans and to the Galileans. He went to the sick and the lame. He worshiped in the synagogue. He taught in the temple. Jesus went to the world and met the different people of the world where they were and in the condition they were in. When Paul says he became like a Jew, he means that he met the Jews where they were, on their ground, where they're on their own ground. When he says he became like one outside the law, he means he met the Gentiles where they were, on their own ground. When he says he became weak, he means he met the weak where they were, 
on their own ground. He's not talking about compromise here, folks. He's talking about common sense. If we want the gospel to touch people's lives, then we've got to go meet them in the midst of their lives. We cannot stand in judgment over them. We must stand in encouragement and truth among them. We must become all things to all people. Why? So that we might win or that we might save some. My friends, the life of the servant of God is not easy. It requires a change in perspective. It requires us to see God as supreme master and ourselves as his slaves. It requires us to be humble while at the same time passionate and assertive for God. And it requires us to meet the world where it is, not where we want it to be. So the question is, how is your life as a servant going? Are you living this way? You know, as Americans, people of the West, we don't want to be slaves, do we? We want to be masters. Many people want to live in pride, not in humility. Many want to stand outside the world in the bubble of the institutional church instead of bursting the bubble and doing what the church was designed to do. Where are you? Is God moving in you to be a humble servant? Is he moving in you to do that push-pull thing, that humility that's just very unique where it's, it's humility, but it's passionate humility? Is God moving you in that way? Is he moving you to meet the world where it is, to be contextual, to be wise? I don't know where you are today, but I want to challenge you to join me in being the true church. Let's go. Let's get out there and be humble slaves to God in the world. Thank you very much and have a great week.